0: on the right thing in 2001 i mean the government the federal reserve has repeated the same mistake on a bigger scale every time one of its own bubbles pops
1: to Consumer Choice Radio, another episode, another broadcast. I'm one half of your host, Yael Ososki, reporting to you from Vienna, Austria. As always, we are broadcasting on the Big Talker 106.7 FM out of Wilmington, North Carolina. I am joined, as always, by my trusty colleague and co-host, David Clement at Toronto. Welcome, sir.
2: Yeah, another week, another great show lined up, uh, a fantastic guest this week, lots of... Uh, Important things to talk about, uh, both positive and some pretty scary stuff as well. So, looking forward to to another great show.
1: Definitely, and uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into that interview we promised to you last week, and uh, we thought we might as well hit it now. We've got uh, all around uh, financial guru, uh, the prophet of the stock market, uh, former politician, but always uh, very clear on the radio. He's got his own program. Peter Schiff. So we'll be speaking with Peter Schiff and we'll go to that interview now. Jamie, roll the clip. All right, I'm
2: very excited to introduce our uh, our guest for this week's show, Peter Schiff. Peter Schiff is the CEO of Euro Pacific Capital, the chairman of Schiff Gold and the host of Shift Radio. Peter, thank you very much for joining us on Consumer Choice Radio.
0: Oh, thanks for having me on.
2: Great, great. Uh, So, I mean, I I became aware of of you and the work that you did, um, it sounds weird to say, well over a decade ago in the lead up to uh, 2008, and you were one of the few people at the time predicting uh, various aspects of the financial crisis, Mortgage problems and and what have you and how it actually ran much deeper than that. Uh, a lot of people are saying that we're on the brink again in terms of COVID nineteen. From your view, where does this differ from the '08 crisis, and how bad are things actually going to get?
0: Oh well, first of all, this is way worse than that. I mean, we were already on the brink before COVID nineteen, so you could argue that COVID nineteen is what pushed us over the brink. Uh, But we were going to go over anyway. Uh, And, you know, remember, 2008 was a financial crisis. But what caused it uh, was a bunch of bad debt because uh, real estate prices went down. And then people who borrowed money using real estate as collateral didn't pay. And so the banks lost money. And that was the financial crisis. And, of course, you know, there was also a lot of consumption. That was related to phony wealth because people thought they were richer because their house was worth more. So they spent more and they borrowed more. And so we had a, a sharp recession. Uh, but now this is a much bigger financial crisis because it's not just real estate debt that's going bad. It's pretty much all the debt. I mean, <laughs> all businesses can't pay. Individuals can't ba- pay. So. It's a much bigger credit crisis. The losses are going to be much greater for the lenders because far more uh, debts are going bad, and it's happening at a time we're in in worse shape, right? We have a much bigger debt bubble that is popping now than the one that popped in 2008. And in 2008, the pin was the real estate prices going down. This time, the pin is COVID-19, but it doesn't really matter about the pin. What matters is the bubble. And that is the problem. Everybody is focusing on this pin, and they're ignoring the bubble that the pin pricked.
2: So, in terms of that pin prick, um, I mean, obviously, like you said, the the housing bubble um, in 08, we saw housing prices go down. Uh, do you see, like, how far-reaching do you see the impacts in terms of industry? I mean, Yaël and I have talked about it week to week that. Um, this very much feels like a like an '08 financial crisis, but for multiple industries, not just or multiple sectors, not just the housing market. Do you see that happening to other core components of the economy, and and which ones maybe oh, stick out to you?
0: Well, certainly, when it comes to real estate too, it's not just residential; it's commercial. So, commercial real estate is going to get obliterated. Right. It's, it's been propped up by artificially low interest rates that were even lower than the ones that were propping up the market uh, before '08. except the commercial market held up in '08, Even though the residential market you know, collapsed, the commercial market held in uh, mainly because of the Fed slashing rates. Uh, but this time, it's not going to help. I mean, because rates were already practically zero before the Fed cut them to zero. So it's not like the drop in rates is is that substantial, a game changer uh, for the commercial market. What's going to crush the commercial market is going to be an absence of rental income because a lot of the tenants are going bankrupt and they're not paying their rent. So you're going to see really a perfect storm for commercial real estate because uh, office uh, demand is going to be down a lot of small businesses are going to fail, but a lot of other businesses uh, are realizing that their, work, their workers are going to work from home. Uh, and, and so if more people start working from home, uh, then uh, the businesses don't need as much space. So mm. there's going to be a glut of space for sublease. And also, you've got companies, you know, like WeWork going bankrupt, and all kinds of space on the market. So I think the uh, market's going to be depressed for office space, and then of course the weakest segment is going to be retail. I mean, there you're going to get complete decimation. Uh, you know, shopping centers, department stores, strip malls. I mean. All these companies, you know, were on life support before due to the, you know, Amazon effect and stuff like that. But now this is it. I mean, they were hanging on by a thread and now the thread is gone. Uh, So lots of small retailers, even large retailers going bankrupt. Uh, And so the rents are just going to stop. So this is going to be a huge collapse in commercial Uh, real estate, but also the unemployment is going to be much greater. I mean, obviously it already is, but a lot of people just assume that these rates are going to come. I mean, the unemployment rate is going to come all the way back down, you know, once we open the economy back up. But once we do that, you know, it's not going to open back up to what it was. I mean, because what it was was a bubble and the bubble has popped. So I think most of the jobs that have been lost are not coming back. I mean, some of them may come back temporarily until the employers find out that they don't need them. Uh, So I I think we're going to have a much higher unemployment rate. This is a much deeper recession. The financial losses are going to be much greater. And I think the end game is going to be worse. It's not going to be another stock market bubble, another real estate bubble, which is what the Fed was able to succeed in doing last time to kick the can down the road for a decade right? By replacing one bubble with an even bigger bubble, it Mm -hmm. won't work this time. I think they're going to destroy the dollar and unleash massive inflation on the economy. So in addition to being unemployed, people are going to see that the cost of living is going to go up dramatically at the same time.
1: Now, Peter Yael here, one thing that you've often talked about in your career are the impacts of government policies, on not only the, our wallets and um, all of our kind of fiscal policy and everything that happens in our own economies. Um, what is your view of the lockdown? You know, how has this been carried out? What has been the impact? Because often we're talking about very indirect things that the Fed might be doing or that uh, they might be doing in D.C., but this is a actually a time when government is saying you're not allowed to do business. What is your kind of view of how it's been handled in a couple of states?
0: Uh, well, I think the whole government reaction has been misplaced. I mean, a, I think we've we've overreacted to uh, the, 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 the virus in the way we've shut everything down. I mean, I, I don't think that the government cure is, you know, proportionate to the disease. In fact, I think it's worse. I think it's going to do more harm uh, than the disease itself. And I think one of the reasons, that the states and it's mostly the state governments right that have done this it's not the federal government right it's all the governors and the mayors and they're all ordering these lockdowns and these forced closures and things like that but i think the reason they're doing it is because they know the federal government and the federal reserve is providing uh the aid right so that when governors order businesses closed and all these workers don't have jobs The government is providing the supplemental unemployment benefits that in many cases exceed uh, what people were earning when they were still employed. All these businesses are getting federal government bailouts that are the result of state and local government decisions. And in fact, now even the governments themselves, the, the municipal governments, the state governments, are asking the federal government for aid to replace the tax revenue that they're no longer collecting from the businesses that they decided to order shut. Uh, So this has been a massive moral hazard. I mean, the Trump administration, Congress should have made it clear from day one, no federal bailouts. The Federal Reserve should have made it clear. We're not going to monetize this debt. Any decisions a state wants to make to shut down a business or to force people to stop working, then you, that state needs to deal with those costs. Taxes need to be raised to cover these costs. You can't just assume that it's all going to be paid for by the Fed printing money because that's worse, right? The money printing, the massive deficits, the huge increase in federal spending and federal deficits is going to be much worse for the economy than COVID-19. Mm-hmm.
2: Actually, I, I remember watching, watching – um, I forget which conference you were at, but you were basically talking about the Trump tax uh, cuts in some sense in, in the same light critical of the tax cuts, not because um, tax cuts aren't desirable, but critical because it didn't come with a reduction in spending. And that leads just me to ask you, like, what, how does the, the federal government dig out of this problem? I mean, obviously, the trajectory is print, uh, print and spend, which has inflationary consequences and all sorts of moral hazard and whatnot, but what, from your view, what should the federal government do or what could the federal government do or the Federal Reserve do or not do to help actually move America forward in like a post-COVID era to avoid some of these these consistent uh, and predictable uh, conundrums?
0: Well, nothing. I mean, (laughs) the Fed can't do anything to help us, but they can do stuff to hurt us, like Mm -hmm. what they're doing now right? What they're doing now is going to hurt the economy. So it's just an extra extra damage being inflicted on the economy. Now, one of the things the Fed has already done to make the economy so vulnerable to the current uh, you know, situation is having kept interest rates artificially low in the past. See, the big problem is that we've got no savings, right? So let's mm-hmm. assume that what the government is doing is actually necessary. Let's say we really do need to shut down the economy for a while uh, in order to allow the disease to kind of pass, right, so to try to clamp down on the spread of COVID-19. So businesses need to shut down, uh, people need to stop working for a while. Well, that means we need to rely on our savings to get us through the hard times. If, if, If businesses don't have revenue, they have to use their savings to cover their overhead. If workers don't have a paycheck, They need to use their savings to cover their rent uh, to cover their mortgage to make their car payments but the problem is nobody has any savings everybody is levered up businesses are levered up Uh, workers are living paycheck to paycheck the government has no savings they've been running massive deficits when times were supposedly good All of this is because of the Fed. Because the Fed has kept interest rates so low for so long, they have punished people for saving money and rewarded people for going into debt. And so now, when we face an economic crisis where we need savings to get us through, we have no savings. It's like, you know, we have no rainy day fund and now it's pouring, right? And so there's nothing there. So the Fed has already done incredible damage based on what it's done in the past and now it's doing even more damage uh by doing the same thing so what the fed should be doing now is apologizing for the to the nation for all (laughs) the mistakes it's made in the past they should let interest rates go up not bail out anybody and now we're going to have to have a much worse economic downturn than the one that we would have had in 08 had we had they done the right thing then which of course you know is worse than had we done the right thing in 2001. I mean, the Federal Reserve has repeated the same mistake on a bigger scale every time one of its own bubbles pops. Peter,
1: our show is broadcast on the same station as the Dave Ramsey Show. So there's a lot of people who listen who are um, against credit cards. They don't have consumer debt, but there are a lot of people in our country who do. Um, so what about this bubble of, of credit card debt during this time? You know, I don't know if any recent numbers have come out of, that you've seen. You know, what's the bubble like for the credit card debt that we have in this country, and, and what, really what will that mean for our livelihoods going forward?
0: Well, of course, you know, we have over a trillion dollars worth of credit card debt, but we are, you know, we're going close to $2 trillion in student loan debt. I mean, that's like 1.7, 1.8 trillion. Then you throw on mortgage debt on top of that. But you know, one of the things that Dave Ramsey misses, you know, he talks about, Hey, you don't want to have debt, right? Well, every American citizen has debt, even if they don't have any themselves, because every American is responsible for their share of the national debt. I mean that's every American who actually works and pays taxes because the people who are on welfare, right, technically they're not on the hook for it because they're not paying taxes, but if you're a taxpayer, you're on the hook and the average American taxpayer's share of the total national debt is like a couple of 100,000 dollars a piece. So every American is is loaded up with debt whether they have it or not. You know, and they're going to suffer either because their taxes are going to be raised through the roof. In fact, right now, the government is actually borrowing more money than it collects in taxes. More than 50 cents of every dollar the federal government spends is borrowed, which means for the federal government to live within its means, it would have to double the taxes that every American pays right now. And how many Americans could afford to double, to pay twice as much as they're paying in taxes? Obviously they can't, but what's gonna happen is the government is gonna print all this money. It's gonna pay for it through inflation. And so Americans are gonna get wiped out by debt through inflation. That is the problem. So what the, the advice that Dave Ramsley forgets to give everybody is to get out of dollars, to get out of U.S. assets, to get out of U.S. stocks, to get out of U.S. bonds, because you're going to be obliterated based on the debt that the government has committed every American to pay, and either they're going to pay it you know, in money by paying higher taxes, or they're going to pay for it through lost purchasing power, because the value of their money is going to collapse because the federal government is going to have to print all the money that it needs to spend.
2: And some some critics of, of your position or the, the forecast of Inflation and hyperinflation will say that the U.S. currency being kind of a global currency and used abroad will help um, weather the storm in some sense. Uh, what's your take on that? Does that argument have any merit or do you, do you, see, uh, do you see this forecast kind of happen, happening regardless?
0: Well, that's the reason we've been able to get to the point that we're at now. Right? Had the dollar not been the global reserve currency, this would have happened a long time ago right? So what's enabled us to kick the can down the road was the dollar status as the reserve currency. We would not have been able to get away with it without that. But Mm -hmm. the point is, there is a line that once you cross it, uh, you've gone too far. The problem is you don't know where that line is until after you've crossed it. At some point, right, you build up so much debt, you've printed so much money that we have a currency crisis because all of a sudden the world realizes that the dollar cannot continue as the reserve currency because we have abused that privilege that we simply have too much debt. We're simply printing too much money that the cost of maintaining the dollar as the reserve currency is no longer something that the world is willing to bear. And then the dollar crashes, right? On, and then it's too late, right? I mean, once that happens and you have a crisis, you've lost the opportunity to do something to head that off, right? To do something Mm -hmm. on our own, cutting government spending, uh, you know, bringing the deficits under control, you know, kind of storing, you know, shoring up confidence because once the confidence is lost because the debts are too big, that's it. And that's what I'm saying is going to happen, that nothing that can't go on forever will go on forever. And Mm -hmm. we've been, you know, we, we've been kicking this can down the road for long enough. I think we've caught up to it. I don't think there's enough road left that we can kick it again. I think this is it. This is when the chickens are coming home to roost. This is the day of reckoning, right? Where we're going to have to pay uh, for all of our past profligacy. Uh, mm-hmm. This is this, you know. This is where the buck stops, literally.
2: And so, in in wrapping up, I do have one one funny question for you. I I'll, and this is kind of based on my personal history of listening to some of the the forecasts that you were making I know that you took a lot of heat from people uh, like the Ben Steins of the world and Laffer and and all of those other um, economists and commentators did you ever get your I told you so moment or did you ever have uh, post-08 crisis moments where you got brought back with some of those naysayers and got to say hey guys
0: Well, you know, Ben Stein actually publicly apologized to me and he said he should have listened. And in fact, he ended up, writing a blurb on one of my later books, uh, uh, the real crash. So that was (laughs) nice of Ben Stein to kind of admit that, you know, that I was right. Guys like art Laffer have never admitted. I was right. You know, even though I actually had a bet with Laffer, he's refused to pay off the bet. He never gave me my penny. He never wrote that note. That was part of the bet. That was saying he was wrong and I was right. So some people refuse to admit that I got it right. And they just like to say I'm a stop clock. And of course, you know, A lot of people are now still making fun of me because the forecasts that I made of high inflation or hyperinflation back in 2010, 11, 12, uh, those forecasts have not come to fruition. uh, So people think I was wrong. I wasn't wrong. I was just a decade early, but I am going to be proven right in a bigger way. In fact, the dollar's demise is going to be even greater. The amount of inflation that we're actually going to suffer is going to be far worse because we succeeded in kicking the can down the road for a decade. Because during that decade, all the problems that concern me have gotten much bigger. It's a much bigger bubble. There's a lot more air that's going to come out. And that means investors, of course, are going to lose a lot more money if they don't do the right thing now and get out of U.S. assets, buy some gold and silver, get some mining stocks, check out my, my fund, my gold fund, the Euro Pacific Gold Fund, fastest growing gold fund, Uh, In the US right now, EPGFX uh, got a great track record in that fund. And also look at getting into some foreign stocks. Look at Switzerland and Norway and... Singapore and, and, and Hong Kong and New Zealand and some of these markets where we're investing in some of these stocks that have really, really good values. But more importantly, uh, the dividends that they that they pay are in currencies that are going to go way up when the dollar tanks. And so people can have a real inflation hedge and have retirement income that will actually have meaning, because I think most people who are currently retired are going to have to go back to work because it's their money that's going to retire and not them.
2: (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, Peter, for joining the show. Um, We really appreciate it. We hope to have you on again. Always appreciate your insights and uh, we'll talk to you very
0: soon. Okay, great. Bye-bye.
1: So yeah, David, great interview uh, with Peter Schiff. Thanks so much for setting that up. I think that was that was awesome. I definitely learned a lot and uh, I'm looking forward to purchasing my own money printer very soon.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, and the good thing is about having Peter on the show is that in, uh, let's say, nine nine months, a year from now, we can have him back on and we can see uh, where his predictions are and how, uh, how accurate he is so far. <laughs> That's it. And so we'll be able to revisit that with him and then... Maybe one day the radio clip will be part of uh, part of one of those YouTube reels that you see online where it's like Peter Schiff was right, and it's all of his predictions about the market. So great interview. Um, loved having him. Definitely a friend of the show, and uh, we'll have him back again, uh,
1: hopefully soon. Yeah, It's a strange world out there. So uh, a couple of things I, I wanted to get into, uh, we're, we're kind of in the midst of uh, the reopening everywhere, and there's... Uh, the last uh, bastions of places that are locked down are shut down. um, And basically we have the grand social distancing warriors that are, have come out to play and we're now in the shame game. Uh, David, you've probably seen this. Everybody's getting shamed left and right. There's a huge scandal in the United Kingdom. I actually don't have clips on that one, Uh, but did you follow the situation in the United Kingdom with uh, Dominic Cummings at all?
2: So I did a little bit. Um, so my understanding was there were specific lockdown orders and he violated them and he violated them because it had something to do with taking care of his children. Um, it wasn't nearly as bad as the, the Ferguson scandal where the guy who pushed for the lockdowns basically broke quarantine to go see his mistress or something. Yeah. Silly like that. And this is the uh, guy
1: responsible for all the modeling that has locked down every economy in the world, and he's the yeah. one who, you know, broke the rules. Uh, So for the the Dominic Cummings one, um, and he's an interesting guy, and obviously he's going to be vilified by the media because he was uh, the campaign director for Vote Leave uh, related to Brexit. He's a chief advisor to Boris Johnson, who is the prime minister in the United Kingdom, and it was revealed that uh, he had, during the time of lockdown, uh, visited his parents' farm in Durham. Apparently, he was dropping off his son, who is autistic, to be with family because either him or... I believe his wife had tested positive or they were ordered to self quarantine. And then this has caused a huge flubadub dub all across the United Kingdom. And then everybody's just calling each other out. Um, so this is, it's big. And even the BBC came out, you know, with a big clip and said, look, he broke the rules. He broke the rules that the rest, you know, had imposed upon us and everyone's having a field day and we're, we're into social shaming. Now this is what we do. And I think it makes sense. Obviously, Um, If you are in power and you're responsible for trying to put a lot of this stuff out. Uh, But yeah, this is like next level, next level.
2: Yep. Yep. Um, I mean, there was something somewhat similar that happened to Doug Ford in Ontario. He basically told people not to go to their cottages and then he drove up on a Sunday to make sure that the pipes didn't freeze because there was a weird cold spell a couple weeks ago. This is what and Canadians
1: it, have to do. Yeah. You got to make sure that <laughs> you, the pipes don't burst because the water expands as normal.
2: Yeah. Well, and the funny thing was this reporters were like, well, we know that you went to your cottage. And he's like, yeah, I did. I went to go check the pipes. They burst last year and it cost me like 10 grand. So come <laughs> on. like, I went there, I looked at it, I made sure it was okay. And then I came home.
1: So speaking of second homes, uh, we're not done with this segment. We've got a lot of social distance shaming that's happening. Uh, Let's actually hit upon some people in power who not only are they responsible for some of the social distancing and lockdown measures, but they've been some of the harshest. Let's go up to Michigan. Michigan.
3: Governor, I know you did just address some of the uh, rumors that were surfacing the internet. Um, When you opened region 6 and 8, you advised people not to rush up there and overwhelm the area. Um, Just moments ago, you mentioned that your family's been staying home for the past several weeks, but there were some reports that you did spend time up north. Are those reports true? So, as you know, a few weeks ago, we dropped the travel ban so that if people had a second residence, it was permitted to go to a second residence. My husband did go up to our place in Antrim County and raked some leaves and came home. Um, so he was there. He did not. We did not p- all pile in the car to go enjoy our second home, although that would have been permitted um, if we had. But the fact of the matter is he was there briefly for a night, I think, one or two nights, and came right back home after he raked our leaves.
1: Okay, so she says he was raking leaves. <laughs> there was a report that actually he had taken the boat out. Um, he had taken okay. his boat out, and some of the, the local uh, like fishing uh, – resource uh, wildlife resource police came by and they're like hey you're not allowed to be on the boat and he goes would it help if i told you that my wife is the governor
2: yeah (laughs) i did see that He, he dropped the name card
1: yeah, and, and she's we've, we've had clips of her before. She's been the harshest when it comes to this lockdown so much so yeah. that you go to Lowe's and you had, you know, different parts that were cut off at Walmart. You couldn't buy clothes, but you could buy anything else. They had to be roped off per state order. I mean, a lot of ridiculous stuff. She's been incredibly harsh. And, you know, her, her husband was just at raking leaves. Yeah.
2: Well, and who takes two days to rake leaves?
1: <laughs> well, I don't know. My, my parents made made us rake leaves a lot when we were young, but uh, I, I can imagine not the most uh, pressing thing to do specifically is if your wife is supposed to be, you know, the lockdown queen and uh, yeah. you're out trying to get on your boat and have a good time.
2: Well, I've, I've never understood the whole debate about going to cottages. So obviously, where I am, there's a huge cottage country just north of us about an hour and a half. Um, and everyone was like, no, you can't go there. Because if you go to the grocery store, they're not prepared, and you could overwhelm the system. And if you get sick up there, the health like, their healthcare system is uh, ex- especially underserved mm-hmm. uh, in terms of capacity. But if you don't go to the grocery store and you bring your groceries with you and you just finished your 14 day quarantine, which is when most of the people were heading up there anyway. Um, I don't see any problem with it. I yeah. mean, you're not, you're not going, there's, there's no exposure point in between A and B. And so, yeah, I think you should be I think able the, to The only thing prodigy.
1: people said is maybe you get out of the car and you, you get gas or something like this, but even then, come on. Are, yeah. we, are we really going to make it that—and um, not to be outdone, uh, we're keeping in the same uh, geographical region, <laughs> uh, here's uh, an article from uh, News Talk 1130 up in Wisconsin. So the Wisconsin Supreme Court Justice Rebecca Daley argued for keeping the governor's safe-at-home order in place— Um, And what the story of this is that they actually, uh, the Supreme Court knocked it down. They said it was unconstitutional. So then after that, people kind of went out. Um, So apparently this uh, Wisconsin Supreme Court justice um, spent all of her Memorial Day weekend boating with friends and hanging out in what would have been a clear violation of that order. Um, So there's (laughs) pictures of her on Facebook uh, chilling with her family and friends and just a bunch of people partying on the boat. Um, you know, maybe they, they were able to see the uh, Michi- Michigan governor's husband as well, and if the lakes connect or something. But uh, there's there's yet another example. And David, we're not even done. <laughs>
2: well, did you did you see what happened to John Tory, the Toronto's mayor?
1: No, what did he do? Everybody everybody's uh, getting shamed here. This is shaming uh, hour. Shaming hour. Oh,
2: uh, it was it was it was almost so good. You couldn't you could not have written a better story. So Trinity Bellwoods is this park that it's, it's like over capacity. There's so many people who are always there under normal circumstances. So things start to ease up. The park is flooded with people. There are pictures that make it look really bad. And then everyone is outraged on Twitter. Ah, Like these people should be forced back into quarantine, like et cetera, et cetera. They're ruining it for the rest of us. And then somebody just zooms in a little bit on a picture and who is it it's toronto toronto's mayor john tory standing there with just a couple of bros i'm pretty sure throwing a frisbee and he's just sitting there talking to him arguably closer than than he than he's supposed to be and then that blew up and then he had to issue an apology oh wow on official government uh, city of toronto letterhead he said i want to apologize for my personal behavior yesterday I visited Trinity Balwoods Park to try to determine why things were the way they were. I fully intended to properly physically distance, but it was very difficult to do. I wore a mask into the park, but I failed to use it properly. Another thing I'm disappointed about.
1: Oh my goodness.
2: Like, you could just feel like.
1: I'm like just, oh, we're we're clapping for all of these people. Four more years. Uh, Uh, Yeah, and and again, not to be outdone. uh, Again, we're not even done. And um, let's go to New Mexico. This one actually is a doozy.
3: But first tonight, did Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham play by her own rules? Tonight, News 13 has learned back in April, when she ordered non-essential stores to shut down and lectured all New Mexicans to stay home, a non-essential business opened so she could buy jewelry and have it basically hand delivered to her. What does the governor have to say? Here's tonight's News 13's special assignment. I get it. Staying at home is hard. It is incredibly hard. April 3rd. I need you to do Better. The governor once again hammered home that New Mexicans needed to stay home and only go out for essential items such as food. Our formal orders extending our instructions to stay home and the closure of business and the identification of essential businesses will be extended through April 30th. All non-essential stores were closed. We are in really tough financial times as a state. Uh, IT MIRRORS THE INCREDIBLE PERSONAL SACRIFICES THAT HAPPEN EVERY SINGLE DAY BECAUSE PEOPLE HAVE uh, LIMITED THEIR ABILITY TO WORK uh, AND in TELECOMMUTING, AND MANY PEOPLE, IN FACT, HAVE LOST THEIR JOBS. BUT JUST DAYS AFTER THAT NEWS CONFERENCE, A WEEK BEFORE EASTER, NEWS 13 HAS LEARNED GOVERNOR MICHELLE LUJAN GRISHAM CALLED AN EMPLOYEE AT LILLY BARACK ON PASEO TO BUY EXPENSIVE JEWELRY. It was bought over the phone, but the employee so went to the closed store, got the jewelry the and placed Internet it outside Internet. the door of the store, where someone who knew the governor picked it up. This according to the person who runs right. Lily Barack Stores, who said she didn't know about it until after it happened, and said no one was allowed in the stores at that time. The governor refused an on-camera interview.
1: Oh, I bet she did. <laughs> You need your diamond fix in the lockdown. That's the number one.
2: Lockdown for for thee, but not for me.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the whole point of this is not to say, um, you know, they're so bad they're breaking the rules. It's more just the hypocrisy. Look, you're the person who told us that we need to... Uh, stay inside, lock our doors, not go to our second residence, um, which, by the way, is pretty elite that you would have a second residence anyway. We don't need to say that, but pretty clear. Um, <laughs> but basically, you're not, you know, everyone's supposed to be locked in. No businesses are supposed to be open, yet you're getting your yep. your jewelry delivered. You're raking leaves. You're hanging out on the boat. Uh, people, You're hanging out in the park. I mean, there's just so much of this. And then it just goes to show uh, even the guy who did the models, as we mentioned, uh, Neil Ferguson, broke the quarantine, so he could visit his mistress or have her visit or whatever.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So it seems like these rules are uh, increasingly harder to follow, even for the most passionate about them.
1: Yeah. And this is, um, again, there's all levels of ridiculousness um, and. You know, it's the governors, it's Supreme Court justices, it's advisors, but it's also the media as well. Um, So we're not going to let them off the hook. Uh, You probably saw this clip, David. This is uh, in Wisconsin uh, talking about, once again, (laughs) the people who had uh, gone out free because the Supreme Court had ruled that the lockdown order was unconstitutional. Uh, So here's the report there that has been going around the nets.
3: People there are just not worried about it, Cal? Are they not worried about their own personal safety?
1: I haven't met anybody
2: who is. I met some folks actually from Lake Geneva who lived in the area. They were staying a few miles outside of town where I
1: were, and they said— they- Okay, so just to, to paint the picture here, this is a, an MSNBC report, and you have like the reporter who's there. He's wearing his mask. He's looking around. He's like, nobody's caring about their safety at all. They're worried about it. They're worried about that second spike. They're worried about folks coming in from Chicago.
2: But they'll quickly add, at the same time, this is a place that relies on that business. I think people here want a little bit more funding when it comes to these programs so that they could stay closed. But, again, I think people felt like the Supreme Court made the decision here in Wisconsin that it was time to open up. But you can see here, just around, nobody's wearing them. Nobody's, uh, the there you go, including the cameraman.
1: Including the, the cameraman. Katie? <laughs> Half your crew not wearing...
3: Cal Perry. Cal, thank you very much. And Kathy Park, you
1: are so... <laughs> <Oops>. <laughs> that one was crazy. Half hey, the crew is not wearing them. I was like, yeah. The reporter was like, yeah, kind of. And I think um, the guy's video who was recording, that came out too. And you just see it's just like two cameramen, they're doing the thing. And usually once the shot is done, then the reporter like... Takes it off and then walks around like normal. So it's a lot of theater. Um, that one... <laughs> Uh, they they got caught too. I mean, that one went around a little bit. You know again, we're we've come into this now because that those are the rules, and now we're just shaming everybody. that's unfortunate well, it
2: it's crazy and and this last clip kind of highlights how how much of a circus um, this whole process has been. So just think about the conversation we we had about masks. like think about the timeline of masks. so. The government, loosely speaking, or a public health official saying, don't buy masks, don't wear them, they don't work. Re- conservative-ish leaning people or populist-ish leaning people, Tucker Carlson, saying, they're lying to us, of course masks work. Here's the data, everybody knows that masks work. The public health officials do a 180, which obviously makes them look bad, but it's the right thing to do, saying, okay, well, in group settings, you should probably wear a mask. And then on the flip side, businesses are just like, okay, well, we'd like you to wear a mask if you come here. And then now there's this explosion of, I can't believe they're asking me to wear a mask. And it's like, wait, hold on a second. What? Like, it's just uh, this roundabout of, it's inserting, it feels like it's just inserting the ugliness of partisanship into the conversation about masks. And you've seen both sides basically uh, trade places, Yeah, um, which it's just been wild to watch. And I'm sure someone out there uh, will put together like a great mashup of people in each stage and then completely contradicting themselves afterwards.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is, uh, again, all the hypocrisy is really what is so interesting about this. And it, it actually forced me, to take one of my favorite clips from uh, one of my favorite shows, Seinfeld. Um, uh, oh. <laughs> this is where, where Kramer is uh, walking in the the AIDS uh, like walk, and he's not wearing the ribbon. So I, I went ahead and felt as if I needed to do a kind of edit of this because I, I think it's important. Uh, All right. uh, I'm trying to get the clip here. I think I'm going to have to go to uh, the dang Facebooks. Ah, oh, there we go. Perfect. So this is a, a clip that I put together. Uh, with Kramer wear- and this is him uh, who's marching in the AIDS parade and he refuses to wear the red ribbon Hey, where's your mask? You? Oh, I don't wear. Them. You don't wear mask. Aren't you against Corona? Yeah, I'm against Corona. I mean, I'm walking, aren't I? Just don't wear mask.
0: Who do you think you are? What? Mask. Nah, no. Hey, Cedric. Bob, this guy won't wear mask. Who? Who doesn't want to wear mask? So, what's it going to be? Are you going to wear the mask? No. Never. But I'm wearing the mask. He's wearing the mask. We are all wearing the mask. So why aren't you going to wear mask? This is America! I don't have to wear anything I don't want to wear! What are we gonna do with him? I guess we're just going to have to teach him to wear the mask. (laughs)
1: it actually sounds way better on audio only
2: <laughs> oh that's pretty good this is america
1: this is america i don't want to wear anything i don't have to yeah so uh i i wanted to do that for a while i just went ahead and did it so yeah this is the the shaming uh it's got to the next level you know i don't know how much longer this will endure but the mask policy you know this is kind of here to stay so get your custom masks uh, get them printed up get get something delivered because uh That's going to be the rule. We've had that in Austria now since March that you need to wear them at all the stores. And um, this is like the national rule. Um, I guess it depends on where you're living, province, state. Um, I know in North Carolina, it's not yet mandatory, but a lot of places are requiring it. If you want to go shopping, Um, if you're, if this is the hill you want to die on, I just don't think that's, it's not the most pressing thing. If anything, like you're not going to be caught by face surveillance or something.
2: It, well, I never understood, I never understood, like, I mean, if Costco says you have to wear a mask, I mean, that's their rules. Like, don't shop there. Most of these restrictions are being put in by businesses to say, this is what we require for you to enter the store. So, I mean, if you don't like it, just don't shop there. It's pretty simple. Yeah.
1: And if you don't wear the mask, Maybe then... You So be in jail. Yeah, so I, I think... Uh, I think... <laughs> I think we've beat that over the head. Um, you know, we, we had a great interview in the first block. Um, it's obviously very, I guess, uh, humbling to have Peter Schiff on the program. Um, he he uh, was able to do the interview with us here on The Big Talker, 106.7 FM. If you missed that part and you're listening now, go to our website, consumerchoiceradio.com. Be sure to subscribe to the uh, podcast there in the iTunes store. Give us a rating, five stars and all the rest. Um, I wanted to shift gears a little bit. We've talked a little bit about um, tech companies and uh, there's rumblings that perhaps Donald Trump is going to come out with some kind of executive order related to social media. We don't know what this will look like yet. All we do know is that Twitter did decide to do its first ever fact check um, on one of Trump's tweets. I believe this one was related to the um, mail mail, mail, mail ballots. ballots. Yeah. Yes. And, um, This is the problem is, is anyone who does any research finds it's not an issue because states like Oregon, like they only do mail-in ballots. So it's not a big deal. I know Republicans would like to jump on this and say this is like the number one fraud thing. Again, that's not the hill to die on.
2: (laughs) Well, so I'm kind of in the middle here where I, yeah, I think that you should be able to vote um, by mail um, the only thing that makes me hesitant, and this was after uh, reading the Wall Street Journal's report on this, is that the, um, basically the discarded ballot rate, or however you describe it, on mail-in ballots is much higher than traditional voting. And so in a close election, so if we look at um, the, the counties in Wisconsin and Michigan that essentially turned the election last time, you basically have to recount all of those votes uh, because the the discarded ballot rate would be so high that it could make a difference. Um, so you'd have to, you'd have to go through and rehand count um, all of those things. So I don't think that that completely discredits it at mm-hmm. all where um, you shouldn't do it, but I, I it, it's, a, it, there is a little more nuance, but then again, I, I really don't understand for our friends on the right um, who are like, no, 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 this is going to be mass voter fraud. I mean, I've voted by mail before. It's not the easiest thing to do, and it's not the easiest. It wouldn't be the easiest thing to do fraudulently. Um, So, yeah, it's uh, interesting. It'll be interesting to uh, see how that plays out.
1: And the way I come at this is I've covered voter fraud. You know, I was a reporter in Florida and and covered a lot of the fraud that was happening there, and it was legit. And it was people would call homes and tell them Election Day was moved or, you know, they try to, you know, move the ballot place or basically stand out front and say things are closed you know there's all this kind of intimidation and there's been a history of this uh, no doubt and when it comes to the mail and i mean again i've done absentee ballots for probably the last 10 years um, as well Um, is there a way that people can do fraud sure whatever i think it's it's so minuscule and small and what you're talking about in uh, wisconsin and michigan you know that's just because the infrastructure wasn't set up for that I mean, now with this, with the virus, you need to have some other way of doing it. And by the way, there are people who are elected, who are the local uh, supervisors of elections. That's their job. They need to figure this stuff out. I think one thing that's kind of helpful in the U.S. is we don't have a centralized system for balloting and for elections. It's all by county. So at least there is a lot of prerogative, and you can hold people accountable if they— you know, mess it up as happened in North Carolina in the ninth district. Um, there was some fraud there, and, and essentially the congressman had to get uh, booted out. They redid the vote, and then the the Democrat won. And there was potentially a lot of fraud there. Actually, my former congressman, some of you might know, former head of the GOP of the state of North Carolina, Robin Hayes, was indicted in that, and the trial is ongoing. We don't really know what's going to happen there, but. Yeah, there's there is a lot of this stuff that comes from both sides. Again, this is not uh, not a one party affair. I don't know the the big thing either way. Back to the original point: Donald Trump, social media, um, <laughs> yes. tech regulation, and the bias that we know exists amongst certain tech companies and a lot of the people who are going to be you know determining what is um, a fact or not. And it's a dangerous position if we're going to have tech do that. And we've spoken about that before with Ashley Baker, um, who was on this program. We've uh, discussed it before with other guests. And I guess the only clip I have to add to that is that a lot of the the CEOs in, in Silicon Valley who, you know, want to get out of this, want to get out of the group think are like definitely going to move. Um, so here's one clip that I have from the CEO of Palantir, uh, which is a huge venture capital firm and you know, all kinds of clandestine services they have. Uh, here's an interview he did with Axios uh, talking about the California problem.
3: As the pandemic recedes,
0: do you move back to Palo Alto or are you in New Hampshire for good?
3: I'm pretty happy outside the monoculture in New Hampshire and I like living free here. Does Palantir stay in Silicon Valley? That's an open question. We're thinking about that. Don't have an answer yet, but it's not certain we'll stay. It sounds like DC-ish. Actually, if I had to guess, I would guess something like Colorado. But I, I, we haven't, we haven't, we haven't decided.
1: Yeah. So that we've uh, we've talked about that. Just uh, people moving away from California. AB five. Yeah. There's just um, the tech wars are not slowing down. This is going to come more and more. And it is very much a cultural thing. There's a cultural bias that exists in a place like Silicon Valley and yeah it's going to clash with our politics no doubt so who knows yep. what's going to happen uh, for the next step
2: well if you're if you're a pro business county outside of california you better be uh, getting your press team <laughs> or I can start issuing some press releases start sending letters to the ceo saying please come here um, yeah i think you really could see this you you could see a uh, a California exit, a cal-exit, Um in terms of businesses not wanting to actually do business in California anymore. Let's see Paul Allen's card.
1: So uh, one clip that just um, – this just happened last week. like I think right after we were recording or I spoke with Joe Catanacci on his morning program, it was Joe Biden. And I know this has probably been you know litigated. I just wanted to play it here and hear quick thoughts. And, and hopefully we're going to have a, a guest very soon on the program who can give us a bit more insight into this.
0: Listen, you got to come see us when you come to New York, VP Biden. I a, will. It's a long way until November. We got more questions. You got more okay. questions. But I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black. It don't have nothing to do with Trump. It has to do with the fact I want something for my community. Oof, tough.
1: <laughs> you've probably heard plenty of comment on this if you're listening here on the radio or on the podcast. So I don't have much more to say, David. I don't know if you've uh, thought about it.
2: I mean, not a good look. Uh, not a good look. I mean, you understand what he's trying to say. He's trying to say, like, if you're an African American, like the Democratic Party is the party that cares about you, and you should see that. But
1: uh, yeah, I mean, whether or not that's true, that's to be you know discussed and talked about, and sure. I, and uh, hopefully the guests that we'll have on will be able to critique that a bit more because. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, um, you know, the whole identity politics is something that is not new at all in the United States. Certainly not in the electoral thing, but, you know, it's two old white guys. And uh, yeah. it's policies have implications and it's all about ideas. So we'll see what happens there. And <laughs> poor old Uncle Joe. He got out of the just... basement and now he's, uh, yeah, mired and all kinds of stuff.
2: Uh, yeah, it's, it's almost like he needs the lockdown to go on so that he... So that he could just stay at home and not say anything.
1: That'd be true. Uh, I think a lot of people would be very happy with that. But so it goes. Um, David, you had one uh, clip that you wanted to bring to the table. We wanted to focus here internationally. Yep. Uh, we're kind of have to. We're going to have to rat up, wrap up here on the radio pretty soon. Um, it's been uh, been a great program again, action packed. If you didn't listen to our interview with Peter Schiff earlier in the program, find that on our website. Uh, consumerchoiceradio.com here on The Big Talker. So, David, uh, give us the intro on this clip and why you're worried.
2: Yes. So the, the clip that we are going to play is a back, basically the background on the recent protests in Hong Kong and the recent attempts by Beijing to pass um, laws that I would argue would end Hong Kong as we know it. Uh, AND SO WE'LL RUN THE CLIP AND THEN YOU AND I CAN CHAT ABOUT HOW SERIOUS THIS ACTUALLY IS.
3: ONCE AGAIN, PROTESTERS AND POLICE CLASHED ON THE STREETS IN HONG KONG. ON SUNDAY AFTERNOON, THOUSANDS TURNED UP TO RALLY AGAINST A CONTENTIOUS NATIONAL SECURITY LAW PROPOSED BY BEIJING.
2: WE ARE worried THAT uh, THE CHINESE COMMUNIST PARTY make USE OF THE EVIL LAW TO FURTHER SUPPRESS HONG KONG PEOPLE.
3: THE COMMUNIST PARTY CLAIMS THE LAW, WHICH WAS INTRODUCED FRIDAY, IS NEEDED TO QUELL, QUOTE, RADICAL LOCAL SEPARATISTS. THE PROTESTERS, ALONG WITH A GROWING LIST OF GLOBAL LEADERS, see it as a push to erode the region's autonomy and warn imposing it could cause more
0: consequences if they do i can't see hong kong remaining an asian financial center the way it has been for many many years
1: i mean don't even talk about financial center who knows if it's even going to be a, a free place at all
2: yeah i mean so the background on this is the, so the Communist Party attempted to apply an extradition bill. That was the last round of protests. And for the most part, the people of Hong Kong were able to stop that bill from being passed. That basically would have allowed for people to be tried uh, and convicted, like Hong Kongers, to be tried and convicted in mainland China, and be extradited to China, uh, which is a nightmare for anybody who knows what that looks like. Now this new law basically would allow Beijing uh, law enforcement agencies to enforce laws of treason, secession, sedition, and subversion. So basically anything against the Communist Party of China in Hong Kong. Um, So that is an absolute nightmare for the people who care about uh, a free Hong Kong. It is arguably the end of Hong Kong, if it's passed, would be the end of Hong Kong uh, as we know it in any real sense. Um, And so there's a huge question of what should we do? Um, And by we, I mean countries like Canada, the United States, the UK. How do we respond to this overreach? Is there anything we can do to stop this from happening? Is there anything we can do to stop it from happening elsewhere? Um, So that's some of the things I've actually been focusing on and writing on as of late and hope to have something um, out and published uh, on that subject soon.
1: Yeah. And I think for something like this, you know, we we've followed the protests for a long time and you've had protests ongoing, you know, all the way back to scholarism protests and the umbrella revolution. Um, You know, this has been a decade in the making. And if this, how, if this is how it all ends, it's very unfortunate. I, I would hope that there is a lot of power. I mean, this is what, Um, our foreign policy that is supposed to be pro-liberal democracy is supposed to be all about. Um, So definitely we'll be there trying to, you know, argue for liberal democracies as much as we can. Uh, Hopefully David can get his article out there and, uh, you know, we can get spread the info. I mean, it's just crazy to think that, uh, and I still have not yet been to Hong Kong. I I think I've been in the airport, you know, going back and forth uh, to Australia or something, and definitely would love to go. I think there's so much entrepreneurship there, such a great... Culture, and you know, to see that squashed by the Chinese Communist Party, you know, the the party that basically bundled everything with the Carol Baskin virus in the very beginning of this, and has led to all these ridiculous lockdowns that have now gone on too long. Uh, But you know, these are individual people, and I know there is a mass exodus. I know there is a lot of people who are already trying to move to Canada trying to move to the United States. A lot of people who definitely want to get their capital out of there, which I totally understand. Who knows what's Mm -hmm. going to happen to your bank accounts. All of a sudden, you know, you're told to work some party job and you got to go do this. I mean, uh, this is uh, unfortunate. I I hope we can shine, you know, more of a light on that. And yeah, we can maybe tool our foreign policy or just get people talking Mm -hmm. about this more. There has to be just more, you know, I guess, focus on it.
2: I would, I mean, if this, if this proceeds and basically Beijing enforcement rolls into Hong Kong, I would love to see the United States implement a dry foot policy like it had with Cuba for so many decades, um, where if you were a Hong Konger and you got to the United States, your asylum claim was granted by virtue of you being from Hong Kong. Um, And I'd love to see the United Kingdom do that. I'd love to see Canada do that. to offer these people the ability to escape the grips of the Communist Party um, because, I mean, they live in the freest place on earth and it is now basically going to be washed away by the totalitarian uh, government in Beijing. And so I think if we if we stand for anything, if we stand for liberal democratic values or democracy or however you want to package that, we have to do something. Yeah. And Obviously, we're not going to go to war with China. Um, that's not—that's certainly not an idea uh, worth entertaining, although I think there are some congressmen who would want to do that. Um, there are some other options that we do have uh, and some policy changes that we can make that can allow for these people to escape the Chinese Communist Party and to continue to, to live free. Um, so I'm hoping and hopeful that various governments can can take action on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, we would hope to see it. So there'll be many more updates and you can follow our project, 21democracy.com. We have a lot of articles and resources. We have been talking about this for several months, um, all the way back to the beginning, into last year. Um, There's so much that's happening, you know, and that's why we were out there um, on the floor of the Miami Heat game. It seems so long ago with our free Hong Kong t-shirts. It's why we're continuing to write about it and to think about it and um, try to, you know, rally a public position. So I think, uh, you know, follow along with everything that we're publishing. Our colleagues are going to be putting out some some great materials here in the next couple of weeks, and uh, hopefully we can protect and, you know, keep Hong Kong free. Yeah. That's the yeah. future. Yeah, so David, it's been a great program. Uh been great chatting with you. Again, uh, it was awesome to be able to get such an awesome guest uh, here in the early part of the show. We have Peter Schiff on the program, gave us some great mm-hmm. insight on the Federal Reserve, on money, pandemics. Uh, investing gold debt—that uh, really made me scared. Actually, knowing how much how much debt I, as an American citizen, am gonna have to pay the rest of my life—sounds yeah. wonderful.
2: Yeah, yeah, not great, not great. It's uh, so it, it we'll have we'll definitely have him back. Um, as we always say, if there's anyone that you want to hear from us uh, and ha- have us interview, let us know, and we'll reach out and we'll try to have them on the show. Um, the more the merrier so feel free to to email or tweet at us um, your recommendations we uh, we do appreciate those because they very often yield some some great interviews
1: that's true very true and uh, follow along consumerchoiceradio.com you can subscribe to the podcast version of our program whether it is in spotify in the itunes store apple podcast or your podcast of choice so once again signing off from vienna yaya losansky telling you all the best And
2: uh, yeah, have a great week, everyone. Thanks for joining us and we will see you next week.
3: go up to our place in Antrim County and raked some leaves and came home. Um, So he was there. He did not, we did not all pile in the car to go enjoy our second home, although that would have been permitted.